it is that time again where I get to chat with our man that represents the universe here on Manx Radio, Howard Parkin, astronomer. Uh, Fastermind, welcome back to the island. Fastermind, Christy, it's nice to be back. You have been on adventures again. I love to hear about your adventures. And yes, they, it was a bit of an adventure, this one. And it often involves you looking up quite a lot. Oh, so, did do, do you want to tell us what, where you were and what you saw? Did it. We did a cruise to the Caribbean, and um, for the first time ever, and I must have done, I've done lots of cruises over the years, and we've. We always, I do the lectures on the ship, that's what I'm, they ask me to do, that's what I principally am, am there for. But um, if the weather looks promising, I say, I'll be on deck at 10 o'clock doing stargazing. Now, the Isle of Man, you think of stargazing, you think of wrapping up warm, freezing cold, cup of coffee, shivering, thermals, the lot. No, shirts, T-shirts, shorts, flip-flops, that's all you need. 11 o'clock at night, 27 degrees on deck. All the lights off, stars blazing above us. You know I did it every single night. I've never done that before. I've never had enough clear nights that we could do it. But every single night we're on deck. And we're just sitting around, chatting. People are asking me what this is. I've got my big, powerful green laser, uh, which I could point out Jupiter, which was right overhead the ship. It just was idyllic. I've never had a time like it, and it was so, so memorable. Um, the weather, the contrast between there and here, though, has been a bit hard to bear, I will be honest with you. You came back just to ice, didn't you? Ice and rain and blur. I came back from 30 degrees to minus three. Oh, Howard, I want to say oh. I feel sorry for you, but then you've just told me all of that, so I kind of don't... <laughs> I don't I expect much sympathy. What, what, did you see anything this time round that you've not been able to see before? Um, not personally, but I did point some things out to some people that had never seen before, and there's one guy in particular... Um, there's a star that dims. It goes dim because it's the winking eye of the demons. A wonderful story about this star called Algol. And it's basically one star goes round the other, and when one goes round the other, it goes fainter. And it's a bit boring, but it looks dramatic. So we're just on deck one night, and I said, that star up there with my laser, that's the star Algol. What's so special about that? I said, it dims. In fact, as a matter of fact, it's at its dimmest. It dims every 67 hours. You can set your clock by it. And so, of course, we looked at it, and it just looked like any star. But, of course, the next night, it was back to full brightness. And he was saying, why is that so bright? I explained the situation. He actually told me it was the highlight of the eclipse for him. So how how good is that? I mean, there's lots of other things on the trip. It wasn't my highlight. It was great, but it wasn't the highlight. But for him, that was the highlight of the trip. And that really made me feel great. Well, that's the thing, because you've spent your life studying the stars. And so you've learned all the things that you need to learn in order to give other people the experiences like that. I'll tell you another funny story that happened, though. Um, The International Space Station is quite often visible. We see it from the Isle of Man. It's quite easy to spot. So I'm in Florida, off the coast of Florida, Fort Lauderdale, uh, heading south towards Cuba. And we knew the space station was visible. But what time zone am I in? We're in Eastern Standard Time. We're in Eastern Daylight Time. I'm using Greenwich Mean Time, which just went back that weekend from British Summer Time. Hadn't got a clue. Trying to work out what time this thing would be visible or not be visible. So there must have been 120 people on deck with me, all looking for the space station. And it didn't appear. just didn't appear. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do? This is embarrassing. I haven't seen it. And then all of a sudden, from right behind the ship, because we were heading due east, it came from the west... Right behind the ship, it came right over the top of the ship, and they yelled and they clapped and they cheered. And I went, Phew. It was a few minutes late because I was further south than we We went the wrong way around Cuba. I mean, the captain went the wrong way around Cuba. I mean, how can I cope with that? I don't, I don't know how you do cope, Howard. I, I don't t- know. Tell him, wrong and- way. We went to go around the west coast of Cuba, we went around the east coast of Cuba. 
he's just making your life tricky. I Absolutely. don't know. Don't uh, people feel sorry for me for these things? <laughs> I should just say, though, you've just brought back a really good memory for me. Um, it, I'm guessing it must have been about eight or nine years ago or something um, that on Christmas Eve... I swear, Father Christmas caught a ride on the ISS because they both passed over the Isle of Man at the same time and were bright as anything. They did. I remember that vividly because I remember pointing it out to my granddaughter and bless her, she said she could see the the flashing lights on Rudolph's nose. It was. I think she probably could. It was magic because, you know, Father Christmas needs a bit of a boost sometimes, doesn't he? It does. I mean, it's a long way to travel and it's a a lot of speed to go at as well. So 17,000 miles an hour gets you around the world pretty quick. It does. There you, you go. Know, that's that's what you want to do. A lot of magic involved, but you've also got to look at the science. And you might be able to have a, a quick brew on the ISS just to kind of give him a bit of a refueling so. himself. As long as he didn't have anything too alcoholic. No, he's got enough of that waiting for him in everyone's houses I with a little so. tots of sherry, hasn't he? It does make you wonder sometimes. <laughs> it does. Mince pies and sherry, no wonder he's so big. <laughs> Is that likely to happen again? Yes, but not visible from the Isle of Man, I'm afraid. I mean, no. you've got to give other people and other children a chance to see him, you know, so That's let's true. be fair. We had our go a couple of years ago. We'll get another go in a couple of years' time. Uh, the ISS is visible tonight and tomorrow, uh, early on, about 7 o'clock, and then it's not visible then until the morning sky after Christmas. Okay. So the people of, um, I don't know, um, Africa, Japan, maybe they get to see him. But uh, to be fair, he's got a long, long way to go, so he gives everyone a first crack of the whip. So how often can you actually see the ISS from here? Well, at this time of the year, because, of course, it depends on what time the sun sets and everything else, but as a rough rule of thumb, you see it for about two weeks in the evening sky, then it's not visible for two weeks, then two weeks in the morning sky, then not visible for two weeks, and so on. It gets messy when you get to the middle of June because it's visible all night. You get it five times in a row. But this time of the year, two weeks on, two weeks off, basically. It is extraordinary, though. Amazing when you look up and you see it actually moving across yeah, yeah. the sky because it is. It's a bright shining oh, light. It's, it's as bright moving as Venus. Across I the talk sky. about Venus being the brightest thing in the sky. Well, the ISS competes with Venus to be the, the third brightest thing in the sky after the sun and the moon, of course. Incredible. And there's seven people on board at the moment, so give them all a wave. Yeah, give, they'll see you. They'll wave back. Well, listen, I should say you are wearing a Christmas jumper, which I'm delighted Absolutely. to see. Uh, it's lovely to see. But we are now in winter. Uh, there's quite a contrast between the autumn skies and the winter skies, huge isn't there? Huge contrast. There's a huge contrast. And I, I love pointing this out to people, wherever it might be, on the island, on a cruise or wherever. Because what I try to do, and I've done this, I'll use the example of Conrennie Plantation. I go up there, not the um, the plantation itself, but the car park. So I take my class up there. And behind us, in the west, over the Lake District, towards England, you've got this mass, and I really mean a mass of very bright stars. And you say, don't look at them. Look towards Peel. And you look towards Peel. There's a handful of bright stars, literally a handful. There's what we call the Summer Triangle. There's another star called Formal Hut, which is in the Southern Fish. It doesn't matter what it's called. But there's three or maybe four, if you try hard, bright stars. And you point them out to people and you see. But just look. It's not very prolific with bright stars. Now turn around and look the other way. And there's about 20 bright stars. What we got on the top 30 of the brightest stars in the sky, I think the official count is 15 of the top 30 are visible in that small patch of sky, that winter sky, about 90 degrees of the sky in the winter. It's a line of sight effect. It's nothing to do with the season. It's not that we see them better because it's winter. Because if you're in Australia, you'd see them in the summer. It's just the fact that we've got the constellations of Orion, Gemini, Taurus, all these well-known constellations. Everyone knows the brightest star in the sky, Sirius. They're all in this part of the sky. And the contrast is dramatic. And I did exactly the same only a few days ago on the ship. I actually said over there. But what was odd there was whereas we see Orion 
rising up from the eastern horizon, then he rises up, he sort of he, he comes up at an angle, then he stands vertical, then he falls over. From the equator, he just rolls up. He rolls straight up, and I'm thinking, that's odd. I couldn't get my head around that. But that's again, it's all to do with the, ge- the geographical position you are on the world. You see the stars of winter in our winter in the, in the Northern Hemisphere. In Australia, as I say, they see it in their summer. But we get to see them longer because we have long, dark winter nights. And this is where the legends come from. I mean, I could go on at length about the legends of the stars, but one of the most notable ones is there's a little group of stars called the Pleiades. It's a little group of stars. It's a star cluster called the Pleiades. It's known as the Seven Sisters. It's known as the Seven Sisters because there's seven sisters, seven stars, seven sisters, and they're weeping because their eighth sister died. So they're weeping, and they weep, and they rise up above the horizon for the first time each winter in September, when the Nile used to flood. So the weeping of the seven sisters brings the flooding of the Nile, which brought life and prosperity and everything to the Nile. So, yes, it's a load of rubbish, but there's a germ of truth in it. I believe it. <laughs> there's so many of these stories. I could give you dozens of these little stories that there's a germ of truth in an awful lot of them. And the rising, the heliacal rising of the, the Pleiades every year, the term helia it rises every year, it comes around the back of the sun, if you like, and um, that annual rising brings the flooding of the, the Nile waters, which brings the, the mud and the silt and, the, and everything else we need to grow crops. Do you know, this is brilliant because I, it's so funny you mentioned the Seven Sisters. I was going to ask you about them because I was recently in a group of people. We were making some uh, just kind of fun crafting session. We were making some earrings and colouring in and everything and doing some painting on them. And three of the people in that class, out of only about ten, without speaking to each other and knowing they were doing this, all put different versions of the Seven Sisters oh, well, on their jewellery. And so they all sort of realised they'd all done this. And then another girl... Um, whipped out her arm and said, look, I've got a tattoo of the Seven Sisters on my arm. And for some reason, there was something about that constellation that they all felt some sort of Mm. kinship to, which I thought was fascinating. Well, it is. Again, you see, you don't understand this, the psyche of the human. Why did that come about at the same time? All All the people thinking... What time of the year was this? Was this September, October Yes, time? it was. It was about a month well, ago. Yeah. Just, so how funny is that? Just when it was rising. Yeah. yeah. So it, it is interesting how people sometimes do feel like they have an affinity with a constellation yeah. or a star or something universal, isn't well, it? There you go. Yeah. I'll give you another one. I've, do you know, I'm sure some of the listeners have got Subaru cars. I want you to go outside, never mind the weather, count the stars on the front of your Subaru. I can so, picture the logo, but I couldn't tell you how many stars are on it. There are six stars in the logo. Okay. They denote the Seven Sisters. How do they denote the Seven Sisters if there's only six? We couldn't rehearse that better, listeners, I tell you, because the seventh star is the car. Oh, very good. I very didn't make that good. up. That's Japanese marketing for you. I take it you've not got a Subaru then? No. <laughs> I have taken photographs of the badges of one, one or two times. I bet you have. So that's that's one thing. So we in the winter sky then, we've got the Prolifically contrast. better, much, much better. We actually call it the the, the first eleven, the first eleven of the of the celestial sky, and um, because the the stars of Orion and the stars of Sirius, there's a, there's more than fifth eleven, but we call them the first eleven, and then um, the contrast is quite dramatic. And you'll see the same when the winter stars drift over to the west, and we get to the spring sky coming over. You'll find there are far less stars in the spring. You'll get about three or four stars in the spring, stars of Virgo and Leo, uh, and it's exactly the same. But winter, you get three or four in all the other seasons, but about fifteen in the winter. 
And so how long is this likely to last for? Because, of course, we, we'll now speak to you in spring then, so that's when I'll next talk to you. So so we'll be able to see this for a couple yeah. of months at I mean, least. what will happen now, we're seeing them rising in the eastern sky. In three months' time, they'll be setting in the western sky and the stars of spring will be coming up. And then we'll have the stars of spring and the stars of summer, so you won't see them then. And then the same thing will happen again in autumn. We'll see the winter stars coming up um, once we get into autumn, uh, a bit later in autumn. Annual procession. And, of course... The basic explanation to why this is happening, the Earth goes round on its axis, and that's why the stars seem to move every night, but they also change on a seasonal basis as the Earth goes round the sun. So we're looking at a different part of the sky. The sun is nowhere near, because the sun, of course, is the other side of the sky in the winter, and it's what we're looking at as we go round the sun. And that's, and, that's the explanation for it. And you mentioned Australia there. It is very confusing if you go to Australia oh, and look in the night sky and think, hang on, that's different. Everything's upside down, <laughs> yeah. back to front, and it really is strange. Seeing Orion is the strangest thing because oh, you're so used to it, seeing it. It's so far because you've got Orion at the, the top and a bit loose at the bottom, which is the wrong way around. Yeah, like you said, he, he falls over. It's, it's he, fascinating. He falls over, see. but the, the equator, he, he rolls up. And I never noticed this. I actually took a picture of it because it was so strange to see Orion just literally sitting on the horizon, lying on his side, as it were. And I thought, that's weird. But hey, at least I've got an explanation. But uh, I pointed out to a few people, and of course what we could also see was stars of the southern sky. We could see some of the features in the southern sky which we can't see from the Alamance because we were literally at the equator. Mm. But um, it's nice to get back home. I went Last night, this is again not rehearsed, last night I went up to bed and I looked from my, uh, my window of my landing and there was Orion standing upright and I thought, the world's got back to normal. I'm home. We're okay. Everything's okay again. Absolutely. So then from the Isle of Man then, what other celestial events can we see in winter? Well, there's a lot of things go on in the winter. At the moment, for this particular winter, we've got the majestic sight of the, 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 the bright planet Jupiter. Jupiter is absolutely unbelievably bright. It's not far from these stars of winter. It's actually the brightest object in the sky, and it, it sort of leads all the winter stars up at the moment. That's because it changes on a yearly basis. It goes around 12 years, it takes to go around the sun. But at the moment, it's in Aries, and Aries is the one before Taurus, which is where the Pleiades are. So we've got Jupiter quite dramatic in the sky. Can't miss it. Saturn is also visible, but that's low in the western sky now, and you wouldn't really distinguish Saturn from Jupiter, any other star because it's much, much fainter. But well worth looking out for if you know where it is to see. But then, wind the clock forward to 7 o'clock next morning, Venus. Venus dominates our morning sky at the moment. It's really very, very bright. It's actually getting furthest away from the sun as it can in what we call elongation and then it's going to start falling back towards the sun and will disappear in about March time but now every single morning if you get up early and when I say earlier now this is so dark so until so much later um, 6 o'clock 7 o'clock just look towards the eastern horizon and you'll see Venus which incidentally in the evening you'll see Jupiter in the same location but of course we've had eight hours difference in time which is why you see the two in the same location but venus is much much brighter than anything else it's quite majestic the way it looks there's something so i just find it incredible the idea that you can look up and see another planet oh, yeah. i just think is amazing we've also got mercury visible at the moment mercury is difficult to spot but the moon is very near to it um during the beginning of december and again in the beginning of january i think it is um, but it's difficult to spot because it's, it's never far from the sun mars sadly is not visible because mars is around the back of the Sun at the moment. In fact, we've got all these spacecraft and different things on Mars, the rovers on Mars, you've got spacecraft orbiting Mars, and at the moment all the scientists are having a break because between the, I can't remember the exact dates now, I think it was the 8th of November and the 5th of December, um, Mars is too close to the Sun, so they basically put the spacecraft into standby mode because you can't transmit to and from the spacecraft when the Sun's in the way.
Oh, just the fact that you can transmit it all, I just find I extraordinary Incredible. as well. Communicating well, have a week off because to... the sun's in the way. Okay. <laughs> as you do. What a strange job. Um, of course, not just winter, but Christmas. And there is a very important star at Christmas, isn't there, is Howard? Indeed. There is indeed. And actually, uh, I, I do talks on this every year. I'm doing a couple this year as well. Um, what we're talking about now is the Manx Christmas star. And I make no apologising for calling it the Manx Christmas star because when we look, we've just been talking about stargazing in the Caribbean. Well, imagine you're now stargazing in the Middle East. Um, the stars they see are very similar to the stars we see. They're in different positions. They're more overhead, whereas ours are more on the southern horizon. But what would have been seen in ancient Egypt and Israel and all those sorts of places um, 2,000 odd years ago is what we would see in the Isle of Man. And there's a whole host of different ideas of what the Star of Bethlehem was. And in my lectures, I actually have the lecture I'm delivering, um, at a, as I say, a few different places, um, we talk about what it might have been. And what, what, what explanation is there for it? And the most popular, if cutting them through all the other things it could be, it wasn't a comet, there's no bright comet seen then. It wasn't um, an eclipse, although there was an eclipse seen when Jesus died, 34 AD. There was an eclipse then when the temple rendered into two and all sorts of things happened. Um, but the Star of Bethlehem, we think the most popular theory is it was a supernova. But it was a supernova, which is a star that blows up catastrophically um, every so many years you get stars that do this sort of thing. Um, but it was preceded by what we call a conjunction, a triple conjunction. The planets Jupiter and Saturn came close together in the sky three times in eight months. It's called the triple conjunction. It's caused by a phenomenon called retrograde motion, which we won't go into in detail. But suffice to say that the two planets get closer together, then pull apart, close together, then pull apart, and then the same again. So this, we believe, or... This is my belief. I mean, this is a, there's lots of different astronomical fears of what the Star of Bethlehem was. Uh, but this theory fits that the wise men saw the, this triple conjunction taking place and they realised it was quite dramatic. It happens every 900 years in the constellation of Pisces the fish, which is the sign of Jesus, the sign of the fisherman. Uh, so seeing that made them head west towards where they believed this celestial phenomenon, uh, birth of baby was going to happen. And then the supernova erupted. And when the supernova erupted, they happened to stumble across this stable where the little baby had been born. And that's the the story of the Star of, Star of Bethlehem, abbreviated quite quickly. Um, <laughs> but that's uh, one of the beliefs of what it could have been. Oh, it's um, just magic. There's about 10 magic. different things. I go through in the lecture about 10 different things it could have been. Well, that's the my most favoured uh, suggestion of what it might have been. There are a host of others. You can get books on it. Many astronomers will have the same basic idea, but different slight interpretations. But that's a, But what is beautiful is, and I, I did this when I first went to go and work for Manx National Heritage in 1997. I thought, I want to do a story about the Star of Bethlehem from a Manx perspective. And I researched it and looked into it and all the rest. And I thought, well, it would have been seen from the Isle of Man. And we used the example of living in a Celtic roundhouse. Imagine a Celtic roundhouse like we've got at the Braid and other places like that, like we've got the um, one in the House of Mananin. Um, you imagine you're living in a big round house with animals, food, toilet facilities. So what are you going to do on a nice clear night? You're going to go outside, aren't you? And you're going to look up at the sky. No lights, no street lights, no nothing to distract you. You'd see all these shapes in the sky make up these wonderful stories. You would see something odd going on. You would see something that different than you would see every other night. And that's where it comes from. And actually, it probably would have been quite terrifying because you wouldn't understand oh, yeah. what was going on. Well, exactly. I mean, this is why we talked about eclipses earlier. Eclipses are the same thing. When something happens that is out the ordinary, of course, you're frightened, you're fearful, you, you want an explanation. And of course, in those times, they didn't have explanations. I spoke before about the star that winks, the star that winks. We now know it winks because one star goes around another. 
But they didn't know that all those years ago. So they attribute these wonderful mythological stories about the, the eye that turns people into stone, if you look at it. And what fascinates me with astronomy and the stories and the mythology of the stars and the constellations and all that is you can always find a tiny germ of truth in them. And people say to me, but how can you make those stars look like a bear or a lion or a hunter? We're just as bad. I've said this many a time and I'll no doubt say it again. If I said to you, what's the shape of Italy? Or a boot. How can it be a boot? It's a landmass in the sea. Fair comment. But yep. we see it as a boot. It suits us to familiarise a shape that looks like a boot. Ah, it's a boot. It's not a boot. Any more than Orion is a hunter and Leo is a lion. But it just suits us to do it. Big Dip is definitely a saucepan, though. Oh, most definitely. Or a ladle. <laughs> or a ladle. Yeah, at least that sort of now, slightly you, looks you've, like... You've upset me now because I'm on this ship. I'm talking about the plough. I'm going on about the plough and they say to me, what's the plough? Oh, you mean the Big Dipper? Because they call it the Big Dipper. I call it both, to be fair. But is it, is it different parts of the world that call it different things then? Yeah, most of the British-speaking... British-speaking, English-speaking... The Europeans and the Australians and people like that tend to call it the plough, but the Americans... So it's me American heritage. 100%. It's definitely, it's your dad, you see. Yeah, it's my dad. Oh, dad, I don't the, know. The big dipper, the uh, ladle. It's always away. Also, uh, some meteor showers could be happening this winter. Yes, we have a number of meteor showers occurring during the winter months. The first of those is the Geminid meteor shower, and the Geminid meteor shower this year is going to be dramatic. Uh, there's no moon to interfere. The moon, I think, is full on the is new on the 12th, so that means there's no moonlight to interfere with it whatsoever. The Geminid meteor shower is one of those groups, those bright groups that rise up over the eastern horizon about 8, 9 o'clock at night. So the it's going to be at maximum height above the horizon around midnight, which is the best time to see meteors. And the Geminids, I say this on air every year, and I've yet to be prove wrong. If you get a clear night on the evening of the 13th, 14th of December, which is only a few days time, go outside, look towards the east. You don't have to identify Gemini, just look towards the eastern horizon. And if you give yourself at least half an hour to get your eyes used to the dark and everything else, I guarantee you will see at least one meteor. Never failed yet. In fact, I've seen as many as 50 in an hour sometimes. Wow. That good. And the Geminid shower and the Persids in August are the two best showers of the year. And fortunately, they're the same time lag, lag apart. So if we get a good Persids one year, we get a good Geminids as well. And this year, as I say, full moon, sorry, new moon on the 12th, Geminids peak on the 13th, 14th. Give it a go. All we need is like the clear weather we had a few days ago. Not like the horrible rain we've had since then. Mm. But if we get clear skies, um, go outside and I guarantee you'll see some meteors. So just remind us then, what are the dark sky sites where we get the best possible view? Well, any, uh, well, we have got the official 26 dark sky sites mm -hmm. on the island. And the ones that spring to mind looking on the eastern to horizon the east. is Axenfell, Port Sodrick, Fort Island, The Sound, uh, Morig Promenade, The Airs, places like that. There's obviously loads of sites on the other side of the island, but those are the best ones. But all you've got to do is have a decent eastern horizon view. Douglas Promenade, not so good because you've got the lights of Douglas right above your head sort of thing. But Marine Drive, Manx Radio would be a good spot to go stargazing from. Uh, Marine Drive, as I say, Port Sodrick, anywhere on the coast of the island, down from the north right down the uh, east coast to Port Erin. Plenty of opportunity. Uh, there are some other meteor showers as well, aren't there? There are indeed. 
The Ursid meteor shower will be peaking on and around the 22nd, 23rd of December. And it tends to get forgot about the Ursids. The Ursid gets forgot about because it happens just before Christmas. This year it's peaking on the 22nd, 23rd of December. And this one comes from the constellation of Ursa Major, the plough, the Big Dipper we were just talking about, which is a bit unusual because most constellations, they come from the eastern horizon, they rise up from the east and we see them at midnight. But the Ursids come from just below the handle of the plough. And uh, again... Round midnight's the best time to look for them, and probably only about 10 compared to 50 for the uh, Geminis we spoke of earlier. Uh, you're going to get 10 an hour. I wouldn't be so bold as to say you'll definitely see an Ursid if you go outside on the 23rd, 24th, but it's worth a go. And then that's followed by another meteor shower, which again gets ignored because it's right after the New Year. It's called the Quadrantids, which is a unique meteor shower because, like Unlike all the other meteor showers, which are named after constellations that they appear to come from, the Quadrantids comes from a constellation that no longer exists. Quadrans Moralis, which is a, a, an instrument they use for navigation. And uh, that was scrapped as a constellation back in 1930. Uh, but it's still there. And that's quite close to the plough as well. So again, Northern Horizon to look for them around the 3rd, 4th of January. So where would be the best dark sky sites for those? For them, you're looking at the north of the island for both of them. Uh, again, Axenfell's pretty good for both. That's why I like Axenfell, because it's, it's, it's an all-round sky. Uh, Faulty Will Reservoir Car Park, um, the Ayres, uh, Balaf, uh, again, Morig Promenade. Um, Nayarbal's good, because the whole of that west coast, as opposed to the east coast, has got good views towards the north. So that's the place to look for them. But the beauty of meteors, you don't need to look at the horizon. Yes, it's useful. You'll see more meteors. But what you'll see is the meteors seem to stream from one point in the sky, which is within the constellation they're named after. But they come in all directions. So you might see one on the other side of the sky. And if you just trace it back to where it came from, you'll see that it was an Ursid or a Geminid or whatever we're looking at. So there is plenty of opportunity to see some fabulous things in the oh, night absolutely. sky over winter. There is a lot going on. There and, always is. And uh, I should say as well, um, you've got some exciting times coming up because you're going to be watching a solar eclipse from a very exciting place, aren't I you? indeed. And this has nothing to do with cruising, this one, <laughs> listeners. Um, I was very fortunate in 2006. Actually, tell the full story. In 2005, we had a great eclipse visible from the Isle of Man. It was about 90% eclipse and it was cloudy. We didn't see a thing. Really disappointed. And then an advert appeared in the Daily Telegraph saying that anyone want to go and see an eclipse, special trip from Manchester, £300, flights to Turkey and back to see the eclipse of the 26th of March 2006. I went, saw it, blown away by it, had to go and do another one. So I went to see one in 2017 in the United States. Got to go to the next one, which is the 8th of April 2024. So, And this one actually will be visible from the Isle of Man at sunset if you go to Peel on the 8th of April and make sure you have eclipse glasses and all the rest. But as the sun sets, the tiny little bit of the eclipse will take place from the Isle of Man and we'll just see a bite taken out the bottom of the sun. Oh. Think of me all of that far away. I'm going to be watching it from a place in Texas. That would be amazing to I see that. Wait. and just I'm really oh. looking forward to it. We've yeah. actually managed to book a log cabin in a place called Lake Whitney, uh, which is north of Houston. And so my wife and I are going to go and see that and uh, really looking forward to it. And uh, it's the one time in my life, Christy, when I am speechless. The eclipse takes place. Yeah, they are awe-inspiring. There's nothing to describe it in the world. Uh, you see it and you just think, wow. And they really are breathtaking. And I recommend... Put it on your bucket list. Everybody, go and see a total eclipse. There's a great one going across the top of Spain in 2027, I think it is. So 
not too far away. So, so you're maybe. going to be booking that pretty soon, Absolutely. aren't you? Absolutely, <laughs> too right. So that for you is the most awe-inspiring celestial event then, an yes. eclipse? I've seen a f- number of dramatic celestial events, but the total eclipse beats the lot. I've been fortunate I've been to two, and they were both perfectly clear. Fingers crossed this one will be as well. Um, I do hope the Father Christmas is good to you. I do as well. And that you have I've a been lovely... Good. I've been good, honest. Have you been good? Honest, miss, I've been very, very good. You've got mischief in your eye, I don't believe no, you. No, 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 <laughs> honestly, I'm, I'm coming with honest. I've been very, very good. I've not been naughty, I've been nice. Well done. Well, from me to you then, happy Christmas, Howard Parkin. Thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you next year. <laughs>